0: Welcome to this podcast from the Vessel Collective Church here in the heart of Texas. Our mission is to be vessels of the living Christ, set apart for His purpose and His kingdom. We thank you for sharing in this message here today. Good morning, church. How are we doing? Thank you, Dustin. (laughs) How are we doing? Good morning. Good morning. Awesome. Uh, Well, good morning, Vessel Church. My name is Sean, uh, and it is my pleasure this morning to get to be here with you and talk through the rest of the book of Philippians that we've been in uh, now for three weeks. This is our fourth week. And so if I haven't met you yet, um, I see some new faces, which is so exciting um, that our church has new people here. And I know online, uh, there might be some of you who are new or who have just started coming within really the last year, uh, which has been different. And so um, I don't get to meet all the new people like we usually would. And so just a little bit of who I am, uh, so you know who's talking to you this morning. Um, my wife, Casey, and I uh, jumped in uh, with both feet to uh, Austin Christian Fellowship Round Rock, which was what this church was about five years ago. And then when we launched into Vessel a couple years ago, uh, we jumped in as well. And so we love this community. We've been a part of this community for a while um, and are excited to see the growth and changes that are happening. Um in our everyday, Casey works in the mental health care field, um, providing services uh, to families and children who are struggling in our community in public services, which is super cool and amazing and um, my blessing to get to hear her stories and to hear of transformation happening. Um, And during the week, um, we also uh, helped start a ministry about a year ago that focuses on providing care for missionaries. Uh, The people we send around the world to to share the gospel, um, they need to be supported and loved as well. And they usually struggle with isolation and depression and, and struggles like that. And so we come alongside them. Uh, and help them in their calling. And so um, what I love connected to that about the book of Philippians is that when you read it, you kind of see it's a thank you letter from a missionary, um, that Paul the missionary has been sent to go preach the gospel around the world. At the time, the known world was Rome and all that Rome controlled, and he has this beautiful connection with this church in a city called Philippi, and he writes a thank you letter for their support and partnership in the gospel, and that's where we've been hanging out, and so we get to put a bit of a bow on this book of the Bible together this morning, and so we are going to be in chapter 4 of Philippians today. So if you've got a Bible, uh, you've got an app, whatever it is, uh, open it up there. Um, we're not going to have the whole thing on the screen as we go today, so it'll be helpful to have it right there in front of you as we read through. But before we dive into God's Word, uh, I'm just going to pray for us that He would open our eyes, our hearts, and our ears to receive. Uh, dear Jesus, uh, thank you for that worship. Um, Thank you for just the reflections on your sufficiency, on our need for you, on how you provide for us and care for us and see our needs and step into them with us. Uh, Lord, I pray this morning as we look at this, the ending of this letter that Paul wrote uh, to a church 2,000 years ago, uh, that we would see the truth you have for us in it that we would be transformed to trust you more and to walk more closely with you in this world. It's in your name we pray, amen. All right, so I'm gonna do what uh, I think Jake and Joe have done. We're just gonna start by reading through the whole chapter. Um, It's only 23 verses, so it's not too crazy, but it is a little bit longer than maybe you're used to in church, so just buckle in. We're just gonna read through this whole thing, and then we're gonna dive into it together afterwards. So starting in Philippians 4, verse 1, Paul writes, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my crown and my joy, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Iodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and then the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles." I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice that is pleasing to God. And my God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all of God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send their greetings as well. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you in your spirit. Amen. So there's a lot there, right? Like, that's, that's like classic Paul. Um, as you read through the letters that Paul writes... Um, It seems like at the end, Paul goes, oh, yeah, and, and he puts a ton of stuff at the end of the letter, like he's running out of paper. And so he's just like, oh, wait, this and this and this person, I need to remind you of this, and I'm going to talk to this person, and also, I'm going to put a little lesson in here as well. And it seems like frantic. And when you first read through it, it's like, man, Paul, slow down. Can you make one bullet point for me? This is too much at once. It seems like it's not connected at all. But this morning, what I would encourage us to see is that there is a theme in this passage, this chapter, but it's actually continuing the theme of everything else that we've been looking at. We're going to kind of pull this chapter apart and then put it back together here at the end. And so in the middle of this is this idea of contentedness, living content. Um, He says he is rejoicing in the Lord, that God gives peace, And that he is the one who provides all that he needs. He says things like, don't be anxious about everything. He talks about all those things that we should be thinking about. He praises God for who provides everything he needs, that he is able to do it through the strength of God. Well, and so we're going to focus on this kind of longer passage that seems to be a run-on sentence, but he abbreviates it at the end. And so... uh, this passage up here in verse 8. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, he gets this run-on list going, and then he, he pretty much just summarizes it and says, if anything's excellent, if anything's praiseworthy, all of those things, just think about those things. Um, some translations use the word dwell on these things rather than think of these things, and I think In this specific case, that word is a little more helpful. Because I can think about a lot of things that don't really change anything about how I live or how I feel. I can think about my grocery list when I go to the grocery store, but as soon as I'm done with that, I don't think about it again. I can't tell you what was on the list. But when I dwell on things, it affects me differently, right? So um, in a negative sense, I think that it makes the most sense to us sometimes. When we dwell on things that make us angry, or sad, or anxious, it changes how we feel, like bodily, physically, how we interact, right? So if you're thinking about something that somebody did or something that happened that makes you really angry, Um, I think some of us might even be able to think about things that have happened in this past year that we would dwell on and just stew on that maybe made us feel something, right? And it changed how we felt. Sometimes you get, like, sweaty. I mean, I remember looking through different things that were going on in our world and dwelling on them, and they would just make me, like, so amped up, and my shoulders would tighten up. I'm dwelling on these things. And likewise, when we dwell on things that are good, praiseworthy, and beautiful, and excellent— They affect us as well. When you think about the things that bring joy and life, they make you feel different. You feel relaxed. You feel happy. You're more animated. You move a little bit more. Breathing is easier, right? So dwelling on things changes how we are. It changes our state. And so I'm going to do something that's a little bit different. I'm going to do a little breakout session. Um, which maybe feels a little bit weird, but I'm asking you the question, what are some things from this list that we can dwell on from your own life? And so, like I said, it's kind of a run-on sentence, but it gives us plenty of options, right? Whatever is right and true and noble, pure, lovely, admirable, beautiful, all of these different things. It can be things in our relationships. It can be things in nature. I know people who see the beauty of God and things that are true and right in in science and physics and chemistry. I don't understand that, but some people do see the goodness of God in that. And so, I'm going to ask you to do is if you're here with somebody or a group of people, just turn to them and talk just for a few minutes. Just bring up some things that we can reflect on that we can dwell on, that bring the beauty and loveliness that he's talking about. And just as one final note, uh, this, like Jake said, I think he said it well, this isn't the question at the Thanksgiving table where you say, uh, I don't know, family. Uh, a little bit more intentional. I, I can say I'm grateful for my relationship with my wife, Casey, and that's True. But even further than that, what is noble and pure, I can reflect on how I can see the beauty of how she listens and has helped me be a better listener, right? So something a little bit deeper than that. So we're going to take a couple minutes, and if you're at home online, uh, do that with people that you're sitting with and also engage with the chat there on Facebook. You can write some of these things in the chat and interact with us. So we're just going to take a couple of minutes and we're going to think about those things. We'll leave the verse on the screen so you can reflect on it. All right, y'all. So we'll we'll come back now. So that was that, that was pretty easy, right? There were some things that came to mind really quickly. And what's cool is uh here in the room, I heard laughter, I saw smiles, I still see smiles from some of those things that we're reflecting on, and that's a simple, you had two minutes. But imagine if we spent time dwelling on these things. Um, I'll ask for a couple examples. Anybody got some good examples of things that were, that fit into this list that bring life when you dwell on them? Praise to God. So thanking God for what he's done. Yeah. Yeah. So the the hugeness of creation and how it puts perspective in our lives. Yeah. Any others? Yeah. Interacting with the Bible with family. Absolutely. Well, where do we get these things from? We get them from God, right? And he provides them for us. And it is a continual testament that he is going to continue to provide for us. Paul moves on to this thought of contentedness, of being content. And, um, and we can move to the next slide, Grant. Um, he says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. Learn the secret of being content in any and every situation. That sounds like something I want access to. I'm constantly aware of the things I need, and contentedness is being happy with what I have. And Paul says that it gives us freedom, that we can access this through our relationship with God, and that it gives us freedom from fear and striving. He says that we are able to do this through the one who gives us strength. And I think Paul spends a lot of time dwelling on the things that God has provided, as he talked about, which gives him perspective that God will continue to provide. And so what does this perspective of contentedness allow us to do? It allows us to be generous. When you spend time thinking about what God has done in your life and that he will continue to do, and we can live in that, I know God has me, it gives us the freedom to love other people in a generous way. We talk about generosity here at Vessel a lot. It's one of our core values. And sometimes generosity can be a term that we simplify down to just money. But I think Paul here is talking about everything, right? That all of the beautiful gifts that he has given us are God's provision and we're supposed to reflect that in our contentedness. So what do we do when we sit and we reflect on the goodness of God and it puts us in that place of gratitude and thanksgiving? Um, I would encourage us to look at it this way, that it allows us to go looking for trouble. Um, We can move to that slide, Grant. And y'all, give it up for Grant. He's doing like three different things back there today. Um, That we get to go looking for trouble. Now, that might seem simplified and a little cliche, but I think it sticks in our heads. So that's why I use that phrase. Now, obviously, there are certain types of trouble that we should be going and looking for and other types that we should not be looking for. And we'll get into that. But Paul learned to be content by finding himself in situations that he needed to trust God that the goodness of God, the things that God had provided for him were the things that he needed to reflect on and dwell on so that he could trust God. And to understand a little bit of the type of trouble that Paul was in and that that church was facing, we need to look a little bit at the context. Um, If we go to the next uh, slide, there's this verse that gives us a little bit of context. Paul obviously is so excited about this church in Philippi and we can see that it's him thanking them for their support, and we've seen that throughout the book. But here in chapter 4, he explains it a little bit more of the why so we can understand. He says, it was good of you to share in my troubles. He says that he has received full payment and have more than enough, and that he wants them to reflect on how God's going to provide for their needs. Um, Philippi was the first location that Paul preached the gospel in Europe. And if we go to that map, Grant, um, you guys, if you guys are willing to to let me do this, I'm I'm a little bit of a map nerd, um, and Casey's probably already rolling her eyes. This map gets a little bit blown out, so I don't know if they'll be able to see it at home, uh, church at home. But this is the Mediterranean Ocean, right? I think most of us kind of can see that. You got Italy, the boot. You got Spain all the way on the end. And if we come all the way over here, where it kind of flattens out on the far right, the ocean, uh, the, the sea there, that's where Israel and Jerusalem is, right? That's where the gospels happen. That's where Jesus was doing his ministry. And that's where really Paul started out. Um, and if we go to the next slide, um, this is a kind of a zoom in on a specific section of that. Um You may know where it says Macedonia and it's coming down. That's what we would call modern day Greece, right? So that thing that kind of looks like a hand going down, that's Greece. There in the palm of the hand is where Athens is, where we see all the cool historical uh, monuments and different things that we see today uh, in like National Geographic and stuff. And on this side is still Asia. If you follow this down, you go down towards where Jerusalem and Israel is, right? And so as you come up, they're way up at the top, there's that little connection, and that's Constantinople or Istanbul. There was kind of a fun geography song, if anybody remembers that, about the two different names of that city. And so it was a really big deal because it was a huge shift in the ministry of the gospel when Paul crossed over. You see, before that point, no missionary had been intentionally sent to Europe, and Europe was the hotbed of culture and, and money and the economy, right? Because the power that was at that time was Rome, and Rome was centered in Europe. But also, Greece, or Macedonia, was the cultural center of their world. Even though Rome was in charge, almost everybody spoke Greek, because the conquerors that had happened before Rome was Greece, And so all of the philosophy and all of the culture and art was deeply influenced by Greece. And so versus being out in the sticks in this crazy place called Israel and Jerusalem and Judah, that the gospel was beginning to move towards the center of their world. And so Paul crossing over into Europe was a really big deal for the gospel. Um, And it wasn't an easy thing either. Paul actually wanted to go further this way into Asia, and God changed his course and brought him in. Um, And so Philippi, that little green star, that's where Paul is writing to. And so it's the first place he touched on that journey into Europe. And he goes on to hit the rest of Greece, and eventually he ends up in Rome and all these other places, But what we learn from this letter is that Philippi is the only church that supported him in Europe. And that says a lot about this church. That they were by themselves supporting the rest of Paul's ministry. That the fact that Paul was able to eat was dependent on this church being used by God to provide. Um, a lot of, it can be kind of hard to think about how this Philippian church supported Paul because it's like, well, Paul, he's the greatest missionary of all time. And in our minds, it'd be like, if Paul walked in and asked for money, we'd give it to Paul, right? He's got a track record. But for Philippi, I think a good way of, of viewing it is the idea of tech startups in our world today. I've got friends who are in that world in California, and there's more of that world every day ending up in Austin, right? And so it's this idea that they create these new concepts and companies, they get a little bit of funding, they grow super fast, and they can be incredibly successful. But also there's a huge amount of risk in these companies. They'll start out with a new idea and it can flop. Most of them do, and they lose a ton of money. And they're based off this idea of disruption. They see a certain mode of how things are being done, and they want to change that up. And so they come in with a new idea or a new model. And Paul, in some ways, was like a tech startup. The market was full of lots of different options for religion. You could worship any god that you wanted to under the sun. There was tons of them. There were Greek gods. There were pagan gods. There were Roman gods. There was all this different stuff going on. And so Paul's walking into this market of ideas with the gospel. And He was a disruptor. If you don't believe that, there's some really crazy stories in how, in Acts, how Paul would share the gospel. There's one city he shared the gospel in, and enough people came to Christ that the industry that made little silver idols lost so much business that they were angry with Paul, they got a riot together to try to kill him. So Paul is disrupting their world. And so because of that, people are out to get Paul. There's a lot of risk to be associated with Paul. There's a lot of risk. Is is this thing going to work out? You really got to believe the gospel if you're going to support this. And so the fact that Philippi has put all of this resource, all of this trust is huge. They've betted on Paul being successful and on the gospel being true. And they've put a ton of energy behind that. And just for kind of context, Epaphroditus, the guy who went and brought this gift to Paul, It was a long journey. So Paul is in prison in Ephesus, and they're in Philippi, that's about 400 miles, and there's an ocean in between. You may not think about this this sea, it's called the Aegis Sea, but you actually do know it probably from what happened about five or six years ago, when there were all those Syrian refugees who were trying to get into Greece, and we saw those crazy images of them on those little rafts, and unfortunately, so many of them drowned trying to get into Europe. That's the same body of water that he had to cross to go give these gifts to Paul. And we know from this letter that he's carrying a ton of money. And that's not an easy thing to do in the ancient world. That's dangerous. And he got sick and almost died. And so in a huge way, they supported Paul sacrificially. And Paul reflects on how this comes from them sharing the same contentedness in the provision of God, that they know that God will provide. I've got um, a little story from my own life that I'd like to share with you. If we can pull up those two pictures. These are uh, some friends of mine from my time doing missions and engaging with, uh, with people working around the world for the gospel. Uh, this is my friend Noel gaspier He's in Haiti. He's a church planner uh, and very photogenic. He loves having his photo taken, so you can see that. Uh, and these are my friends Grace and Valente Sobrevia, And they are in Reynosa, Mexico, uh, which is right across the border from McAllen or Mission, Texas, down in the valley. Both of these uh, people are, are church planners. They're planning churches in impoverished areas, in places where it is hard to just exist, where people are living on you know, daily bread. They don't know where their next meal is going to come from. They don't know where they're going to be able to pay for the things their family needs. And they are living incarnationally in these communities sharing the gospel. If you could pull up the the next slide there, Jessica. Um, These are the two places where they serve. And you might not be able to tell the difference between both because they're really similar. Now, if you know the Rio Grande Valley at all, those mountains definitely aren't there. So you might guess that's Haiti on that side, which you're right. Um, But they're both impoverished places, they're dry, they're arid, there's people living with recycled tin roof to build a house or a shack for themselves and their family. They're living in poverty. And both of these places are people who have been displaced. The people in Reynosa, most of them are waiting to try to get across the U.S. border to receive a job in a car factory or something like that, and they're just waiting, and they're trying to figure out what to do next. In Onaville, this specific community in Haiti that Noelle is working in, uh, these are people who were displaced by the earthquake in 2010. Forever ago, it feels like now. You might have seen it on the news. And they, all their homes were destroyed, and the government basically just set, picked them up and set them down in this arid mountainside, empty space, with no infrastructure, no water, no jobs, no food. When we were doing work in Haiti... Um, we began to see that there was a huge need for food. Um, Talk about basic needs, right? And so these folks didn't have meals, uh, didn't have the food to provide for their family and their children. And so the churches decided that the best way to serve the family and the immediate need right then was to gather food and distribute it to these families. And so me and some of my friends who work from the States gathered a couple of American churches and asked them to give money to help support feeding people in Haiti. And at that same time, we happened to run into our friends, the Sobreviás, in Reynosa, to just check in and see how they had been doing. It had been a minute since we had spent time with them. And they said, what are you guys doing? And we talked about what we were doing in Haiti. And they said, wow, that's amazing. A few weeks later, we get a call from the Sobreviás saying, we have $500 that our churches have gathered to feed people in Haiti. Now, if you look at both of these places, you're like, what? They're supporting each, how does that work? How do you do that? They're living in poverty. They need the food and money for themselves, which is true. In Reynosa, uh, actually the churches they plant have feeding programs. So what are they doing sending this money somewhere when they need it themselves? They don't have those resources. 500 bucks to them is huge. But it's the same thought that Paul has where we are supposed to love and serve and support sacrificially. He says, it is good that you chose to share in my troubles. And that's a great example for us. Now, again, that's money. And sometimes money is an easier thing for us in our world to think about because we can give it away without that cost. We're not wondering where our next meal for our family is going to come from. And so we're okay with giving a few dollars here or money there. Even though we're still encouraged to, it feels like it affects us a little bit less. And because of that, I want us to go back to the beginning of this chapter. Um, and this hits a little bit closer to home. Not only are, is Paul writing to encourage that we support sacrificially, that we even more love sacrificially. He says, I plead with Eodia and I plead with Sintike to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, to help these women since they have contended at my side for the cause of the gospel. This is a little bit harder to work through. Um, when we read that, it's easy for us to read over these parts that name somebody because I'm not Sintike or Eodia, so this doesn't matter to me. But if we sit for a little bit longer and we think about this, and we try to understand what Paul is addressing, there's actually something really important for us. He's saying that we are supposed to be generous and trust God enough to settle our differences. To love each other sacrificially, even when we're at odds with each other. Um, I grew up in the church And some of you probably have as well. Um, Some of you may be new to church and welcome. We're so excited you're a part of this community. But the truth is, if you spend any time in church, eventually you're either going to see or be part of a conflict. Um, That's just the reality of when broken people try to do community together. We rub each other the wrong way all the time. And it's really hard. And, and if we think about this, this story, these two women who are at odds with each other, we know that they're believers. They, they're followers of Jesus, that they have worked with Paul, of all people. They worked with Paul to spread the gospel. So they've got a track record of being faithful people to the gospel. But this conflict is serious enough that Epaphroditus, on his long journey to Paul, is thinking about it enough to bring it up to Paul. And Paul is thinking that it's a big enough deal that he's going to send it back in a letter and address it. That means that this is a knockout-dragout fight between these two, right? Like, and if you've been in church for some time, you may know things like that. Uh, honestly, like I've been in church leadership before and staff positions, and sometimes you know of these things. And if I'm fully honest, it's a lot easier to ignore it or to mitigate the risk of conflict oh, these two people, they don't get along. We just will make sure they're not serving on the same weekend. Or these two people, they don't get along. We'll, we'll try to get them in different small groups. You know, we're loving them by not letting them have to deal with it, right? That's not true. That Paul is saying we're supposed to sacrificially love each other and solve those differences. And the question is, how do we get there? How are we willing to do the harder work of interaction through relationship? And I would say it's the same thing that moves us forward to give and support sacrificially. Like my friends in Haiti or Onoville, uh, like Paul's talking about this church sending him support. It comes from understanding that God will provide. That Paul says he's learned to be content in all things. That's not just where his meal is going to come from. It's in walking into difficult conversations with people he disagrees with. It's in solving conflict within a body that we call ourselves family. And that we, it's worth walking into that. And we can do it because God says, I've got you. I will provide for you. I am complete. That we don't have to hang all of our importance on the interactions we have with each other because we know we get it from our Heavenly Father. I love that we sang, Good, Good Father. I love that we sang, Oceans Today. Those songs hit so deep in this context of we can find all we need in our father and that he invites us to walk into deeper waters where we have to trust him more. And I don't know about you, but the place where I have to trust God the most is in my relationships and even more in my conflicts. And so church this morning, that's what I would encourage us all to do. Now, I'm going to be honest. I don't know about really any big conflicts in vessel and I praise God, right? We, we don't, we're not at odds with each other. There's no big fight that somebody from the outside would even know about, like, in we read here. But who knows, eventually that might happen as we continue to walk out life together. There might be those conflicts. And truthfully, that means we're being honest with each other. We're being authentic because people annoy each other. People cause conflict. I mean, if any of you are married, you know you love that person deeply, but sometimes they are a Pain. And I say that more as I'm the pain versus the other way around, just to be safe. Um, But the same with the church. When we're family, sometimes that happens. And so church, be ready for that. Be willing to trust that God is going to provide all that we need, even in our relationships. That we can walk in peacefully knowing that we have everything we need. We don't need to win an argument. We don't need to puff ourselves up. We don't need to walk in that. But instead, we can walk in contentedness. And that might not be happening here in Vessel, but I know that it happens in our lives and other relationships. That somewhere there's a conflict or uh, something rubbing you the wrong way in a relationship with somebody. And God this morning is calling you to be generous because you can trust him. Be willing to work it out. And so church, that's, that's my encouragement to us. Again, I know that Paul sometimes is crazy in how he ends letters. And so thank you for hanging with me this morning as we've kind of meandered through Paul's meandering. Um, But again, that's our encouragement is to live joyfully and generously because we have a God who provides all of our needs. Um, So let me pray for us and then uh, we'll go out and enjoy what's looking like it's going to be a beautiful spring day. Thank you for joining us this morning for our service. We are publishing content throughout the week for Church at Home through our social media and website. For more information, visit www.vessel.church.